So welcome to the Sarah and George Choi Property Podcast, the show that helps you to become financially free so you can spend time with your family, traveling and pursuing your passions. <laughs> I'm George Choi. And I'm Sarah Choi. And today we're interviewing Mike Cruikshank, who's a self-build expert. And a good friend of ours. Yeah. And yeah. it's all about how to build a passive house. If you're thinking, what on earth is a passive house? Don't worry. We've got it's that a covered. really relaxed house. <laughs> That's right. Totally relaxed. Chill. The house on its side, you know. Yeah, um, that, that might be a good thing. <laughs> so let me tell you about Mike. Um, so he's worked for over 45 years in the construction and architectural sector, and he's literally helped thousands of people, thousands of people to build their own homes. And he's also self-built two homes for his own family. He's been involved in TV shows, including Flatback Home and DIY SOS. And he runs the Path to Self-Build Success online course. So welcome, Mike. Hello there. Nice, to be, nice to be on. How are you today? Good, good. Awesome. 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 Always awesome. Always awesome. <laughs> always nice to be positive absolutely yeah cool so we thought we'd grill you today yes yes so everybody can learn about this stuff yeah yeah that's good um at a a very very top level what on earth is a passive house right well uh, first i should probably explain where passive house actually originated um it originated in 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 germany uh, in 1988 and it was developed by a very intelligent gentleman who've kind of foresaw what was going to happen in terms of CO2 emissions and all the rest of it. Mm. I called Dr. Wolfgang Feist, F-E-I-S-T. So what it is, it's a, you know, it's a building standard that is truly energy efficient, comfortable and affordable all at the same time. So what it, you know, what it means in effect is you're building a house that will require very little energy to actually heat or indeed in warm temperatures keep, keep cool. Right. So, you know, there are look, five fundamental uh, points that you have to address. And one is to have a, a super insulated envelope. So that's, you know, the walls, the floor, the roof, mm-hmm. but very airtight. So you're not losing all the, the warm air that you've paid to heat uh, yeah. through uncontrolled ventilation or what we'd commonly know as drafts. Yeah. So it needs to be airtight. Uh, Thermal, thermal okay. bridge free. I found this on the web for what could... <laughs> Your internet's trying to help. <laughs> if we just wanted to know what, like, uh, Alexa wanted to know about it, then uh, oh, we've asked them. Word. No, actually, don't say that. We've got so many. We've got Alexas and Echoes all over our house. And if we say something, it, it kind of like, it chips in. Now. Yeah. No, okay. that's what happens. Yeah. So be quiet, Alexa, be quiet. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thermal, thermal free detailing, which just means in effect that you don't have areas where the heat can escape through thermal bridging. And that would be maybe likes of um, like metal beams and all that, where the heat can transfer through very, very quickly. So yeah. you need to kind of counter against any thermal, thermal bridging. Mm-hmm. And then you also need high performance glazing for your, for your windows and doors, which would quite typically be maybe triple glaze rather than double glaze. And okay. the final element, the fifth element, is making um, the air within the building uh, fre- you know, fresh air. So you generally would have mechanical ventilation heat recovery system because, yeah. because we do generate moisture-laden air just by breathing, cooking, yeah. bathing, and all the rest of it. And that has to be ventilated out. Otherwise, you can get mold growth within the house. Yeah. Plus, I guess if you're not changing it, because it's so thermally sound, you're eventually going to run out of oxygen if you don't shut... You know, you're well, going to have a problem with that, and you've got to change the air over so you're, you've got fresh air. Absolutely, because I mean, otherwise you can get, you know, it's more commonly known in probably office buildings where you get 
you know, sick building kind of syndrome where people just right. don't feel right. So, you know, right. humans, we do require, you know, kind of fresh, kind of fresh air. That's part and parcel mm -hmm. of what we actually need as human beings. Yeah. So the mechanical ventilation heat recovery system provides that. Yeah. Right. Well, I guess in the old days, there were just lots of gaps everywhere. So it wasn't a problem. In the old. Um, in but the you're, old you're building without that. So yeah. you've got to kind of do it, it in a it yeah, in. do it in a clever way. <laughs> so you're saving the heat but losing the old air and the moisture, basically. That's right. Because, I mean, yeah. in, the old, in the old houses, you didn't have to worry about, um, you know, about ventilation because you would natural ventilation, you know, with chimneys, drafts around yeah. windows, drafts coming up from yeah. the floors and all yeah. the rest of it. But that's, that's what made them very expensive to heat. Yes. Yeah. It's where the whole passive house principle actually, you know, kind of comes into its own. Right, right. Cool. cool. Um, so you've got... So what other benefits are there of, um, so you kind of hinted at some of the benefits. Um, what, what, are the, what are the benefits of living in a passive house? Well, the big, the big benefit you get is a huge reduction in terms of your energy costs. So, you, you know, you'll reduce your energy, you know, your running costs, but some, somewhere in the region of about 90% compared to the typical building, building stock. Right. Can, you, you know, so that's obviously a huge, huge element. So if you're an older house, you actually stay in, then the more benefits you would actually have. But mm. even it can be as much as 75% compared to kind of modern, modern day houses because, um, you know, the regulations are a minimum requirement, whereas a passive house goes to, you know, way in excess of that. So it really yeah. you know, yeah. minimizes what heat load you actually require. Right. I mean, I did see someone post on the internet that they were paying something like, seven pounds a month in utility bills or something yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah i mean that houses that are, you know cost you 92 pound i mean we did one i remember that was a three-bedroom house for a local authority and i think the energy bill per annum was something like 92 pounds wow. Yeah. wow i mean that's that's a huge cost i mean obviously presumably there are going to be costs involved in building this way it, it's not going to be as cheap as building a standard house but the idea is presumably that it pays for itself over time Absolutely, yes, because I mean, energy costs, energy costs are only going to go one way and that's up. Yeah. yeah. On average, about every 10 years, energy costs kind of double. Mm. Now, that continues. So the payback period re reduces as and when, you know, energy costs right. continue to rise. And the government are, are hell bent and obviously reducing, uh, you know, carbon emissions, the whole, you know, mm. um, CO2, yeah. you know, green issue is very much very much to fore and that's yeah. only going going to accelerate right yeah so right. you're future proofing as well aren't yeah. you yes exactly that yes mm. so how, how long does it take to typically then pay, pay back so if the passive house costs more to build how long you know versus the you know the the, the energy savings so that that component yeah how, we, how long would it yeah, take house to builders aren't building this back? way obviously, because it mm. costs more. Yeah. And I presumably it doesn't pay for itself if you're just selling a house as passive house. But we're obviously talking about self-built here. Yeah. And for a self-builder, presumably you're planning on staying stay for a while. How long, so, how long would you need to stay in it, do you think, before you, you started to see those? It's very difficult to put a figure on that because we all live slightly, slightly differently. It depends mm. very much on the size size of family you have as well. You yeah. Know, a couple living in a house compared to a couple maybe with five, you know, five young kids where you know, the washing machines hardly off and all the rest of it, all yeah. the impact on what your actual energy, you know, energy costs are. But, yeah. you, know, it's, you know, suffice to say that you actually, you get one chance to do it cost effectively and that's yeah. building the house day one to try and do yeah. it respectively is very, yeah. very, you know, very, very expensive. 
Mm-hmm. Um, so we've covered some of the costs of, of, a, of a passive house. Mm-hmm. Um, how, do, how do you find a plot to build uh, yeah. a house? So this is, I mean, a passive house or a non-passive house. I mean, that, that's always the first question that people mm. have. I mean, we covered this a long time ago, but if you're looking for a plot, how do you start, Mike? Well, I think, yeah, in terms of, you know, kind of passive house, just to kind of kind of cover that off a wee bit, I mean, you can you can build to full passive house certification standards or you can build a house that adopts many of the principles of pass- passive house but is not actually fully certified. Because uh, it's kind of like an inspection, isn't it? So you are a passive house. Yes, and you get a certificate that actually yeah. is a passive house. Put it on the wall, I'm a passive house. Exactly. You know, there is a cost implication for that because, you know, the whole certification process ah. makes yes. a bit of money. So you will find that many people will build using passive house principles, but right. not actually go to the extent of getting it certified, if you like. Okay. Right. That's uh, so, I guess it's more relevant if you're looking to sell it relatively quickly. If you're just going to live in it for 25 years, it doesn't really matter, does it, if you've got a piece of paper? No, it doesn't really at the end of the day. But I mean... Okay. Yeah, but I mean, you know, in the UK, what it, there's actually what they call the Passive House Trust, which is an independent non-profit organisation that actually deals with giving advice on Passive House within, you know, you know within the UK. Um, mm-hmm. so it's always worthwhile, you know, looking up them mm-hmm. um, uh, to see, you know, exactly what the principles, you know, what the principles are in detail, because it is, it is pretty involved, albeit yeah. it's not overly complicated, but... Certainly, I would always advise people to be building to at least passive house principles, if not fully passive house certified. Right. I mean, would a standard builder be able to do that? Standard build, builders generally not. You will find that most of the actual major house builders, their main focus is, is on getting a return for the invest for their investors. Right. So really, at the moment, there's not really the like the RICS probably don't value a passive house as it probably should should be. It should probably get a higher value because of the running costs are so much less. Right. It then gives you a choice. You can either build a bigger house for the same money right. or you can have a reduced mortgage because, you, you, you know, you're not going to have to spend as much on your energy costs. So it affords you, you can actually get a bigger mortgage potentially because, you you know, the outgoings per month would be, you know, would less. Yeah. So that's, you know, yeah. that's one way to look at it. But no, generally what you would find is that most passive house uh, builds uh, are actually done by, you know, certainly, you know, self-self builders. But the other, the other thing is, it's, although the name would suggest it only applies to houses, the reality is passive house can apply to any, any building type. So it can be non-residential. So you could right. build school to passive, to pass, to comply with passive house, nurseries, yeah. offices and all the rest of it. So right. it's not just, you know, it's not just contained for, you know, you know, for the residential sector. Right. Okay. Right. right. So where, where am I going to find my plot, Mike? <laughs> In my course, I think I cover somewhere, somewhere about, you know, 20 plus different ways that you can actually find. Oh, that I know. Plot. Just like the top, the yeah, top if you pick, three. If you pick the top three, where, where should people look? Well, the top three, I would say, is, is, is really to um, probably go, go to an estate agent or estate agents and uh, ask them if they have any houses that are for sale that are not mortgageable. Now, but yes. that, it might be that they are non-standard construction. Mm-hmm. It might be they have some structural issues, in which case a mortgage company won't, you know, kind of won't lend on them. Yeah. Because yeah. a lot of people are 
when they're thinking about a plot, they're automatically thinking about a flat level plot, green field site with the bubbling yeah, brook yeah. running along the bottom. And a horse, was, yeah. yeah the, the reality is most people actually buy a plot that has an existing building on it. Right. Like it's in excess of 56%, I think, of people actually buy mm -hmm. a plot with something on it. So, yeah. um, as I say, you go to the state agent, you could ask them non-standard construction, and that could... You could buy that house, demolish it, and then you've got a lovely site, and then you rebuild. Oh. You're going to rebuild your new house, so that would be one yeah. know, kind of top top tip, if you like. And you're looking for the square footage there, aren't you? So it doesn't yeah. matter if it's awful; the bigger, the better, because that obviously helps you build a bigger house. Well, exactly. And you know, if you go back to the '60s and '70s, where there was probably less pressure on land, then mm. you found that maybe a lot of people were building bungalows. Yeah. So you can get bungalows on big, you know, great big plots. So you always have the possibility of buying it and maybe subdividing it into two plots. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that's always something to consider. So you might be the situation where you could buy it all, get planning permission for two, sell off the other one or build one, stay in it for a yeah. while and then build, build the next one and, you know, yeah. get close to being mortgage free perhaps. Or mm. you know, one of your friends might be interested or a relative might be interested in buying the plot next door. It depends on how close they actually want to live with you. Yes, yes. So I always like to speak to my mum and she'd be like, I'm not sure if I actually want to live right next door to you. You wouldn't you know. Not she, yet. Yeah, not yet. Give it 20 She minutes. likes like a good 10 minute drive between our house and, and her house, just so we can't pop around all yeah. the time. So yeah, you just have to be a good friend. <laughs> yeah, I'd love to be next door, George. Let me put it that way. <laughs> oh, okay. So that's one. All right. Okay. So one, yeah. The thing is, is really is, is networking. Make mm -hmm. as many people aware that you're looking for a house as is possible. Because the more people that are aware you're looking for a house, just you know, keep their eyes and ears open. Then the more possibility you have of someone coming back and saying, "Well, I've just noticed." this was up for sale or I've just spoken to someone and they're aware that this is coming up for sale and if you can get in quicker you know before it's actually on the marketplace yeah. then obviously you're in an advantageous kind of situation. Right? Yes definitely because I mean it's things do come I mean obviously good plots and good bungalows on big pitches will be going quite quickly particularly if they're priced well mm, so if yeah. you can get in there first yeah. i mean you're obviously not looking to do over the the vendor the person who's selling it but you're more likely to get a more reasonable price than perhaps the estate agent would recommend them to put it on for because they're adding in like hope value for some giant mega mansion aren't they yeah. Yeah. estate yeah. agents have a you know, mm. tend, tend to do that you know there's a, yeah. price, there's a price that they think they'll get but you know, yeah. the reality is sometimes different. So it's only really worth what it's worth to you. Yeah. And, you know, you really need to go through what the end gross development value is and then, you know, right. subtract your build costs from that. Yeah. All yeah. your expenses in terms of architects, fees, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. And yeah. how much the plot is actually worth, you know, kind of worth to you because you want to be building in. Yeah, it doesn't necessarily correspond to what the estate agent thinks no. at all. And quite no. often the vendor as well, they'll yeah. have some kind of crazy number in their head. Yeah, they think, um, oh, you could build a house there. You could, be yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. So, yeah, yeah, sometimes it's dealing with vendors' expectations, I think, yeah. isn't it, on that kind of thing? 100%, 100%, because they generally have an inflated idea of how much the plot is actually worth. And as you say, it's kind of, you know, the hope value, the development yeah. value. Yeah. Another thing you need to consider is how much equity do you want to have day one? Um, I generally suggest to people they should be looking at probably minimum 25%. Yeah. But it, you know, if it was a plot that you thought, well, this is really my 
plot, I'm going to be carried out of you know the house in a box, then you might say, well, I'm prepared to reduce that equity level because yeah. when I have the quality of that house for you know for the rest of my lifetime. Yeah. yeah I mean, so on the individuals driving. Yeah, I mean, I'd say though, I mean, we would obviously always recommend that people bake in at least sort of 10, 15 percent. Yeah, or pure, 20, or 20, well, ideally you want to because you never know what you're going to find. No. If you're digging down, particularly, yeah. um, it, it's kind of a a bit of a guess figure, isn't it? Sometimes as to yeah. build costs. I mean, you know, obviously you know how much the house should cost to build, but yeah. if you're going down into the ground, there can be all sorts of things that you find. Yeah. And then that might add to your your build cost, and then if you've only literally got like a 5% margin at the top, you can come a bit unstuck, can't you? Yeah, your, mm. your builder could go out of business or whatever and, and then increase costs on the build. Yeah, um, we're not trying to stop people from but, doing no, this. No, no, I'm just saying. There's just got, things that can happen. You have to bake in the numbers. So gen generally, you know, when we when we look at things, we always say, you know, you've got a 10% contingency on your build cost and 25% profit. And if it doesn't yeah. meet those numbers, you don't do the deal, basically. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, I mean, there is, you know, obviously you can de-risk it as much as you possibly can. You can get, you know, ground investigation reports, which would give mm. you a good handle on what the, you know, what the ground conditions are. Yeah. You know, yeah. There's always the, there's always the potential for an un unknown there because yeah. none of us got X-ray eyes and, you know, you yeah. just don't know a soft spot somewhere. That'd be handy, Mike. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Great for viewing properties, X-ray vision. Yeah. You could become a surveyor, make a fortune. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I had, I had one of my friends, and he, um, he, uh, he, he, he. The moment he dug ground, they found Roman remains, and the site just stopped. Um, and then they brought in the, you know, archaeologists. Yes. Come and check over the site. So you just don't know that kind of thing is going to happen. I mean, or they find a bomb or something. If it was in London, maybe they find a bomb. Yeah. And you're like, oh. <laughs> I mean, obviously, this doesn't happen all the time. No. We're not trying to terrify people, but you don't know. Yes. No. I think the thing is that really once you're out of the ground, then there should be no surprises then. Mm. Yes. Things and done yeah. your due diligence, you should have no surprises. And it really it, it kind of disturbs me that, you know, programs like, you know, grand designs where you quite often see people are three quarters of the way through the project and then they run out of money. Yeah. Well, yeah. Really it makes good TV. <laughs> <laughs> You know, if anything was to go tickety-boosy, that would make for a pretty boring programme. So it would. I'm sure all these houses you've built, are, I mean, obviously there's going to be exceptions, but they're all too, far too dull for television because it's just like, oh, you find a plot, you build your house, you move in. Yeah. Uh, that would be very dull. Newspapers, you know, that's just the nature of it. But they are, most of the, you know, most of the problems are, as I say, basic schoolboy errors that can be avoided. And it's yeah. really you know, people being aware of what they need to do and, you know, the actual process that they need to follow in order to minimise that possibility. and de Exactly. So, Mike, um, can you take a step by step? So you're building a passive house at the moment, um, or one of your clients is. Um, can you take, talk a step by step through the process of, of that particular case study? Yeah, OK. Uh, well, this is a this is a project that uh, was designed for an architect. He actually was going to be building the house himself. It's in a, a walled garden. So it's in a really you know, lovely, lovely location. He's actually got woodlands, woodlands behind him. And uh, the architect's intent was to build the house himself. But however, due to a change of family circumstances, he has actually sold, sold the site. And uh, my client has actually engaged me to project manage this, you know, this particular job. Ah. So, um, it, so you can imagine that, you know, it's a, 
it's a very much an architect design house. It's a one-off, one-off design. Uh, it is 230 square meters uh, of a house on two two floors with a flat roof mm -hmm. and uh, south facing. So it has you know great views and will obviously benefit from from solar gain because a lot of the glass is to the front. Yeah. So uh, in terms of the plot, he's actually purchased, you know, kind of purchased the plot um, for 230,000. 230, mm -hmm. The actual build cost. Where so is it, Mike? Just so we've got an idea. And it doesn't be exact, but the county. It's, it's uh, besides Stirling, which is, you know, okay. it's Scotland, which is. Uh, uh, I was going to say, because that sounds unbelievable for the southeast, <laughs> but up north, I guess that's quite a lot of money. Well, yeah, that's, you know, for a yeah. plot, you know, up, up, up our way, that's, you know, that's not overly expensive, but it is, you know, it's fairly, it's probably at the upper, the upper range. But yes, yeah. I mean, for people in the south, you know, you wouldn't get You know, if you go further north, you go in Scotland, you know, people would be kind of bulking if they were paying £100,000 for a plot. Whew. Yeah. Well, if but, people but, hadn't oh. figured it out, Mike is Scottish. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> the, accents, the accent tends to be a bit of a giveaway. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we've got an international crowd here. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh... <laughs> well, that's it. Yes. Uh -huh. But yeah, I mean, you know, I kind of deal with people, you know, kind of throughout the UK and beyond. I've dealt with people in the Channel Isles, the Falkland Isles, France. Yeah, you know, okay. Belgium. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so the, the actual build of the house, the, the actual cost itself, we're still pulling, pulling that together. Mm -hmm. But we reckon... That that's probably going to come in around about four four hundred, uh, maybe just in excess of four kind of four hundred thousand. So, okay. you know the total the total spend will be in the region of about six hundred thirty five thousand. Okay. okay, okay. From a from a value point of view, the house is probably easily going to value at eight hundred thousand plus. Okay, nice. so you've got enough in there then. Yeah, so there's enough in there. So that day one will you know, I got equates to something like 26% equity or thereby. Okay. Right. Um, so that's, you know, been fairly, fairly conservative in the figures because yeah. generally, I mean, they've no intention of selling it, but if you are buying, if someone's buying a new house, then generally there's a premium, premium to be paid because, you know, almost like buying a new car, everybody would like to have a new car. What's <laughs> the same with, you know, can, you know, with a new house. Yeah, the benefits that you know the, this house will have is obviously it will be very very low running costs. Yeah, in terms of the actual heating, I mean it is quite possible to build a house that doesn't require a central heating system. Now, yeah. people would you know generally raise their eyebrows and say, "Well, that's not possible." Well, yeah, yes it is. We've, we've actually done it, and, right. and not in the southeast of England, but in the borders of Scotland, where the temperatures generally would be. A hell, of, a hell of a lot lower so yeah can, can I just ask a quick question on that so um you know in in you know in the UK we have the energy performance certificate the EPC yes and um you know if you um current currently if you have gas central heating rip it out and put in just electric heaters you get really you know you get a really Slated. low low rating even yes. though we're all going to move over to electric heating eventually um yes. if you put storage heaters in you get a better rating so what happens then with a the passive house? What kind of you e get an e a, e EPC? You? Are the EPC assessors up up to speed with you're passive getting, houses? Yeah, I mean, in terms of I mean, passive house, you're way up at, you know, A, a you know, you're, it doesn't get any better than that. Uh, right. right. So, you know, you're really up at, you know. At a maximum, star. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. You know, the maximum, the maximum you can possibly get. 
Right. Cool. Um, so in, in this particular case, what we're doing is we're going to be putting in an air source heat pump as the actual uh, you know, heating source, yeah. uh, but probably only going to put that onto underfloor heating on the ground floor. Mm -hmm. okay. you know, it won't be required at first floor level where yeah. kind, of, kind of where the bedrooms are. So yeah. albeit I always would suggest that you put in um, maybe heated towel rails within the en suites and bathrooms just to dry off your towels. Yes. Because most of us, I mean, heat naturally rises anyway. And within yeah, this yeah. house, there are a couple of couple of void areas whereby the heat will naturally generate from the ground floor up into the first floor just by the, yeah, you know, yeah. by the chimney effect. But I was just going to say, presumably, people will heat the house too, won't they? I mean, yes. if you're living in this house, I mean, you know, you work out like the BTUs of your radiator if you're doing like a central heating system. I mean, we're like radiators. If you've got three or four people living in a house... That's, that's going to make quite a big difference to one of these houses, I would have thought. Absolutely. I mean, you know, that's one of the things you take, you know, the heat from your body, the heat from what appliances you have. So, your, you know, your yeah. fridges, freezers, mm. light and all the rest of it is yeah. all generating heat now. In an old drafty house, you wouldn't notice any difference. No. <laughs> In a passive house, because the heat is being retained within the fabric of the building, it does yeah. make a difference. I've, yeah. I've thought of something really cool. You need like a really hot husband. <laughs> well, there you go. Or there you a go. really hot wife, <laughs> and then you won't need any heating at all. So you're okay then. You know, yeah, I know. <laughs> Just keep working out all the time. Exactly. When well, I say that, you get really hot. Well, after true, exercise. Yeah, if I exercise, I'm like a furnace for yeah, hours and exactly. hours. Exactly. So and we, hours. we wouldn't need any heating. Yeah, yeah. Cool. I'm a bit like that as well. But yeah, I mean, it could, you know, some of the th people say is, look, you know, oh, if it's getting a bit chilly, then put a candle on the coffee table, and that, you know, that's enough. I'll to do it. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe a slight exaggeration, but you know it 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 is as thermally efficient as that. And very quickly, you would actually see the difference. But one of the major benefits of a passive house is you have no cold spots. It's a it's yeah. an ambient temperature is throughout the house. Yeah. So you know if you're sit, sitting by a window, you're not going to get a draft. You're not going to feel as if it's cold beside a window. Mm. All the house feels feels yeah. comfortable, and it's very difficult to put into words. And it's not until you're actually in a house. And you know, I've actually stayed in a house that is that level of insulation and air tightness. Do you really appreciate how comfortable the living actually is? Right. Mm. Can you change the temperature? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, yeah. You can alter yeah. alter the temperature. Another thing, obviously, because you've got mechanical ventilation, heat recovery system, you can set it such that it, you know, if it's um, if the solar gain is within the lounge, say, then yeah. you can take that heat and extract it and push it into the you know the, the, the colder areas that are maybe on the on the north side of the house. So yeah, yeah in effect, you're getting free heating, you know, from the solar gain. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's Exciting so things. Can, so can you um can you can you sort of take you know like rip out your current heating system? Let's say you've got radiators and everything, and then fit this you know these air source heat pumps. In a in standard your, house, house, or would that not work? Is that is that easy to do? <laughs> yeah, I mean, you, you you can do it, but really what you would have to do for a start would be, because you would really have to be looking at the fabric of the existing building and make it as thermally efficient, as airtight as you possibly can, because there's no point in putting in an air source heat pump if it's going to have to be working hard in order to keep it up. You really want to be, your first focus should always be in reducing what your heat load is right. in terms of the thermal fabric and the air tightness of the house. So in an old building, 
the older the building is, then the more expensive it's going to be in order to get it right. thermally efficient and airtight. Just by the nature of yeah. when by the built houses, there was no insulation, you know, in the walls. Yeah. Just big solid, solid thick walls and you right. know, you know, laugh and plaster. There's no insulation, so they were totally right. dependent on the actual, you know, the right. It would be easier to sort of retrofit, say, like a three or four year old new build type house. Yes. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But yeah. I mean, obviously, because ideally. At that point, there would have been regulations governing what the thermal performance of the house, you know, you know, would have had to be. So you yeah. have to fit some form form of insulation. Now, in the yeah. UK, we were always kind of lagging, lagging behind a bit. It generally tended to be that, you know, our, our continental cousins, particularly in kind of Europe, Scandinavia, Germany, they were always really ahead of us. We've been a, a bit, a bit slow, and you know, and and, and <laughs> on it, but we're getting there. Yeah. yeah. Well, they've done a lot more self-build, I think, than us, haven't they? So in England, yeah. we're we're really low really statistically. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we're trying to change that because mm. you know a lot of people want to do it, and we're trying to help yeah. people do it. Um, yeah. But yeah mm. so we'll in get the there. UK, in the UK, it's something like ten, you know, ten percent of houses that are built are self-build. Now, right. when you compare that, even across the water to Ireland, it's fifty-seven percent. Wow, Austria, Austria is eighty percent. So wow. we have been really, really behind. <laughs> the government now appreciate that, and they are now um, uh, encouraging people to self and custom build. So right. there is an agenda. The government now have an agenda to really encourage that, and because yeah. the major house builders have too much of a strangle grip mm. right, on the you know on on new houses, yeah. and realize that the the land banking that these big guys do, the big six, eight house builders, yeah. um, they've given more planning permission, but it doesn't necessarily mean they're going to build more houses because they just land bank it. Yeah, well, I guess for us, the self-builder will buy it and build it, won't they? Yeah. Absolutely. That's yeah. It, exactly. So it's really been able to deliver the new houses quicker. So I was just wondering, what are the, what are the kind of top mistakes people make when trying to do a passive house as opposed to a normal self-build? Um, I think that uh, probably the top mistakes they make is uh, and not engaging an architect who is knowledgeable about a passive house, uh, and and a builder again who is not who's not conversant with you know the requirements of passive house. Mm. You you generally to be you know you, to be okay with passive house, you really need to have done the passive passive uh, house course. Many architects have done that, so they actually get, you know, they then look at the design principles, which are fundamental to ensuring that the house will achieve passive passive house standards, mm. and you know, for the detailing and all the rest of it. So, I think that is absolutely fundamental that you're really looking at an architect who is, you know, passive house certified, has done the course, and fully appreciates passive, you know, the, the passive house principles. Now, it's fine to get it designed. But obviously, you have to get it built. Mm -hmm. So you really, again, when you're actually looking for a, a builder, you want to be looking for a builder that is au fait with passive, you know, the, the requirements of passive house, because it is completely different. You really have to be building it and a, a lot more attention to detail, you mm -hmm. know, particularly in terms of, you know, the air, the air tightness of the house. So you don't just get the, the you know, the plumber comes along and, drills a great big hole in the floor <laughs> with the feedies pipe through because yeah. an example just is in, in a fairly typical house in terms of a, you know, a space that you would actually lose air through, 
it wouldn't be, you know, houses that were built maybe 70s, 80s. If you can imagine the size of a single garage door, yeah, that's how much that you know air is escaping through that area by the time you take round windows and round doors and all the rest of it. So that you know that would be fairly typical. And if you're looking at a passive house, if you consider the size of a credit card, right, that gives you that's how how many gaps there are in a passive house roughly. So you can imagine how much attention to detail you have to make to make sure that everywhere is sealed around about sockets. I don't know about any pipes, any perforation on the actual fabric of the building, but that means the floor, the walls, the roof, the windows and doors. You really need to be minimizing that. So the contractor has to be aware of that. And the contractor, subcontractors, because it's not all very well having the main contractor been aware of it, but his subcontractors need to be aware of it. You know, the plumbing, heating, electrical guys. Yeah. Yeah. That is absolutely key in, 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 in achieving it because... Once you do your air pressure test, I mean, at building regulation, I think it's 10, 10 air changes per hour. Mm-hmm. When you're looking at a passive house, it's not 0. 0.6. Right. So it's but very is there like an exam the house has to do, like a test? And then, then you can fail and pass that, presumably. Yes, exactly. There is a point to call an air, air blower test. Right. In, in the simple terms, they put a, you know, in the front door of the house, they put a frame in with a, with a fan. Mm-hmm. The fan, you know, pressurizes the house. And um, the quicker the fan has to go to maintain that pressure, then the more air is leaking out. Ah. Okay. So if the fan's working very slowly, it means there's very little air air being lost. So you've got a very air airtight okay. house. And yeah. it, all, it all feeds into a, com- a com- computer which actually calculates out sure. you know, what cool. the air tightness of the house actually is. And that's used... Is part and parcel of the uh, the SAP calculation, the standard assessment procedure, which in turn generates your energy performance certificate. Ah, right. Right. but they don't do that normally to do an EPC, do that. It's a bit right. OTT. And <laughs> all this, you still even for an EPC, you still need to you still need to do an air pressure test. Just for a new build. For, for a new build, yes. Yeah, right. yeah. Not if you're yes. doing like a, an old house and you're yeah. just getting an EPC, they yeah. don't do all that. Up next. No, no. Exactly. <laughs> Overkill. Yeah. No, <laughs> no. The, assessor, the assessor would be making assumptions of yeah. what, the, you know, what the thermal fabric of the house is, what mm. the, how airtight the building is. But that's why yeah. an yeah. EPC in an old house, Mm, you could. I'm not saying take it with a pinch of salt, but it's not it's an exact difference, right? Yeah. Well, right. they're they're kind of guessing at the internal walls, and the, the, and yes. they don't go in the loft, do they? That's the thing. No, they're like, I assume there's not enough like lagging. Like, That's did you even there. look? No. <laughs> you must provide them with a list, don't you? Yeah. Well, they should know what they're doing. I haven't inspected under the carpets. I haven't climbed a ladder to look in the loft. All the, the normal kind of get outs, if yeah. you like. That they, yeah, uh, well, that's, that's where you're losing the heat. With, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Uh, so, where, where do you find um, your specialist architect? Because I, I could imagine that the specialist architect could refer you to a passive builder that they've recommend. But where would you yeah. find the architect in the first place? Okay, well, again, if you were going on to, you know, the passive house, you know, the UK, the, the passive trust, the passive house trust in the UK, then that would have a list of architects that, okay. you, know, have, you know, have actually, you know, got the certification. Oh, the UK, okay. once you're dealing with them, then if they're, because some architects will only, you know, deal with, you know, kind of passive house, they're kind of yeah. specialised in that, in, in that particular field. So if they do that, then they will undoubtedly have contractors that they have used in the past 
yeah. that they can use again in your particular project. Because ideally, you don't really want to be, you know, the guinea pig. You don't want a contractor to be uh, using, like, you know, learn, learn the system, if you like. You want that to have been done on someone yeah. else's house. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so um, th thanks so much, you know, for, com for coming on the show, Mike. Um, what's the best way for people to get in contact with you or follow you? Well, the best, the best way to contact me is, 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 is through the website, which is www.self-buildsuccess.co.uk. And I regularly do free free webinars. So if they, if they register for one of the webinars on there, we'll go into things in a, you know, a bit more detail as to what all the, you know, the course involves. But it is very, you know, it's, it's very detailed and it takes you through a step-by-step -step process, you know, in detail that, uh, you know, really people would find very, very worthwhile. And one of the, you know, one of the modules actually concentrates on um, what I call is fabric first, which is all really what we've been talking about today in terms of, you know, yeah. building a passive, passive house. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I've done the course. It was really awesome. So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> haven't built my house yet. I'm just waiting. But uh, it's, it's very instructional. Mm. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, thanks. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for watching. Uh, please subscribe so you do not miss another exciting episode. Although you didn't miss this one, and you've watched all the way to the end. Good job. Well done. Well done. <laughs> uh, send it to your friends. Click like. Do all the amazing things you're supposed to do at the yeah. end of these videos. We really, we really appreciate, appreciate it. it. Yeah. <laughs> and we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.